you know, Isaac mentioned that we're going to be talking about prayer, and, um, and we are uh, starting a new series on prayer, um, but I have a confession to make. There was a time in my life where I used to really hate prayer. I don't know if you could relate. I don't know if you've ever been in that spot in your life, but I used to hate prayer, and, 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 or, or maybe what I, a better way to say it is not so much that I hated prayer, but uh, it might be more accurate to say that I used to attend a weekly prayer meeting that I just absolutely hated. It was the prayer meeting, I guess, that I absolutely hated, and I just absolutely detested it, and it was just uh, one, of the, one of the most life-sucking experiences of my life. Um, I know it's weird. Pastors aren't supposed to talk about that kind of stuff when it comes to prayer, um, but it really was, and there was two major contributing factors to that. Number one, I had a completely wrong view of prayer, and, and I saw it merely as a religious duty. And um, the second thing, and pro- it's probably related to the first, is that we were not praying biblically. And so what ended up happening is my perspective and our practice of prayer had become a distortion and so it's no surprise that that had become my view of, of prayer, that it was having that effect on me. But I'll get into a little bit more detail on that in a, in a little bit. But the good news is, is that that was then, and it's different now. I absolutely love prayer now. It's, it's one of my favorite things to do uh, with all of you as a church community. I'm so looking forward to our prayer night coming up. On Friday, it's my. I just, I just love it. I just can't wait for it. But uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be kicking off a, f- a new four-week series on prayer that we are calling Dependence. No, there we go. Derek just doesn't want to be told what to do. <laughs> That's the rebel in him. Um, yeah, so we're 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 kicking off today this four-week series on prayer called. Dependence, and today we're going to be looking at how uh, our focus will be on how Jesus prayed and how that gives us some value, valuable insight as far as um, how that is relevant for our own lives. Next week we're going to be sort of dialing it back, back a bit and looking at the basics of of how Jesus taught his followers to pray in a passage commonly known and referred to as the Lord's Prayer. And then the following week, we're going to be taking a look at what it means to be faithful in prayer and to continue in prayer and to pray without ceasing and all those sorts of things. And then in the fourth and final week, we're going to be looking at how prayer is fuel for mission and really, really, the, the, which is really everything that we're doing. And normally when I preach, I prefer to preach through a passage of scripture. But my confession this morning is that I'm not going to do that this morning. Uh, when I told Isaac that I wasn't going to preach through a, pa- a passage, he gave me the stink eye. But um, hopefully, he won't fire me by the end of today. Um, but I, I, contrary to what I prefer to do, I'm not going to be uh, preaching through a particular passage um, because here's the thing. If you're looking for a singular verse or even a passage of Scripture that effectively uh, explains and defines prayer and its place in the Christian's life, you're not going to find it. Prayer is this this sort of like this this thoroughly biblical concept that is seen throughout all of Scripture. And it's not confined to a single verse or passage, but we see that it's it's practiced throughout um, all the pages of Scripture in a variety of situations and circumstances and, and for a variety of different purposes. So rather than focusing on a particular text, what I'm going to do is just look at how Jesus prayed. And that's a very interesting thing for me as we consider um, 
that Jesus prayed. And, but what I want to do is I want to start off by asking the question, what is prayer anyway? What is prayer? What are we talking? When we talk about prayer, what are we talking about? So this would be my suggestion. In a nutshell, prayer is a communicative connection between the heart of man, mankind, humankind. That's not a gender-specific thing. It's a prayer is a communicative connection between us and the heart of God. It's a communicative connection between us and God. And it can take on a lot of forms. It could be a cry for help. It can be where we're asking for provision or direction. It can be offered up on behalf of someone else. It can take on the form of confession. It can take on the form of, of worship. And where in our prayer times we're just spending time talking to God and taking advantage of the relationship that we have with him and where we're not necessarily the ones doing all the talking. It's a communicative connection between our hearts and God's hearts. But back to Jesus praying, one of the weirdest things about prayer is that Jesus prayed. And we're just coming off a series of talks that we called Oddity, where we were sort of looking at um, the various things that we see in the life and ministry of Jesus, the things that he said and the things that he did that were kind of surprising to a lot of people. And we're sort of diving into some of these things to see what we could um, learn as we explored some of these things that were a bit of an oddity. Not only was what he did odd, but he himself, depending on your perspective, may have come across at odd at various times. And this is actually, although we're out of the oddity series, we're now into this new series, there's a connection between these two series because I think it, I find it incredibly odd and I find it incredibly weird to think that Jesus himself prayed. Why would Jesus pray? What is that all about? But we know from scripture that, that he did. Hebrews chapter five tells us that, it, that uh, it says that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. It's an established fact that, that Jesus prayed. We see it in scripture and I find it absolutely fascinating. It's actually recorded 25 times throughout Jesus' ministry but that we see him praying during his earthly ministry. But there it is, that Jesus prayed. And, and in looking at some of the, the reasons why um, or the circumstances surrounding how Jesus prayed and, and what was going on in his life and in his ministry at this time. We see some examples here of, of it was right before choosing his, his disciples. We see uh, uh, that according to the book of Luke, Jesus prayed the whole night through, the whole night before choosing his disciples the next day. And then in Mark chapter one, we see that uh, Jesus is casting out demons and he's healing people and, and that goes well into the night and he gets up Early in the morning, according to Mark chapter 1, he gets up early in the morning while it was still dark. After that crazy day, the day before, he gets up early in the morning where it was still dark, and he goes out to a desolate place to pray. And then we see in Mark chapter 6, after feeding the 5,000, a very famous story, story that many of us would be familiar with that after he feeds the 5,000, he sends his disciples into a boat and to, to go on ahead of them, and he dismisses the crowd. And then after he does that, he went up on a mountain to pray. So Jesus prayed. Strangest thing, weirdest thing. Why would Jesus, of all people, pray? Why did he pray? There are two things in particular that I want to point out. 
And, and there might be a, a, a bunch of things that I could even, where, where I could take this, but there's two things in particular that I want, want to point out. The first is, is the first clue that we have is in John chapter 3 and verse 16, another very famous, commonly understood and commonly known verse. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, this is the clue, that he sent his only son. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. So the first reason that we think that uh, the first reason that we see Jesus praying is that because as God's son, he was in relationship with the Father. And then in John chapter 5 and 6, just a couple chapters later, there are more clues where we see how G- where Jesus is making some incredible statements. In John chapter 5, he says, um, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord. He's speaking of himself. The son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. Okay. And then John chapter 6, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus was dependent on and obedient to the father. So this is my premise Jesus prayed because he was in relationship with the Father and because he was dependent on and obedient to the Father. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, that should sound pretty familiar because we are to relate to God in very similar ways. We too have a relationship with God. John describes um, those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ as, as having become the children of God. We see that in John chapter 1 and verse 12. And now in, in addition to um, being in relationship with him, and even because we are in a relationship with him, we're also to be dependent on him, which is kind of hard for us. We're to be dependent on him, but that's hard for us because we are a culture that values independence so much. So much so we have a national holiday that's geared all around it, Right? We call it the 4th of July, but for those that don't know, it's, it's also referred to as Independence Day, not the movie. But it's almost like we tie our self-worth to our ability to remain independent. You ever notice that? We wear, we wear our independence as a badge of honor, and it's like we tie our self-worth to it and our sense of our own value to our ability to remain independent independent as individuals, and we have this sort of attitude that I'm fine the way I am, I don't need anything, I don't need anyone else, just leave me alone, I'm good, which of course is totally contrary to the other cry of our heart, oh, somebody please pay attention to me and love me, which is obviously very normal, but there's that sort of, that, that, that war within us, but we definitely, as individuals, we value independence, so dependence is not something that comes very easily for us. And so while it may rub some people the wrong way to think of themselves as having to be dependent on anyone, I would ask anyone why they would ever want to be independent from God. To be in a relationship with God is a good thing. And throughout all of history, we see that the human race has been striving and clamoring to know and to be in relationship with the divine. But like a branch cannot keep living disconnected from the tree, to be in a relationship with God and to be dependent on him is by design. We were created for that relationship. 
We were created to have a relationship with God, which explains why there is that drive throughout all of history. That regardless of anybody's even knowledge of God, there's, there's been that, that clamoring and that striving to be connected. And we've come up with creative phrases and, and terms like higher power and whatever else, right? But that's just evidence of the fact that we know that there's something else out there. And of course, we have a biblical understanding of what that is. It's God who knows us, who sent his son to die on the cross for us so that the separation between us and God could be closed, the gap could be closed, that Jesus could enter us into through his shed blood and broken body, through the righteousness that he has can be credited and given to us, those that are sinners and broken and messed up and wrong, who in our brokenness and sin cannot have a relationship with God, but Jesus made a way for that. That is the answer to the need that we all have to be in relationship with God. We see scripture speaking of this in John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and, sorry, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Dependence. In 2 Corinthians, chapter five and verse 15, and he died, speaking of Jesus, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So my suggestion would be is that our default setting is to be dependence. And that would be, that explains why we would want that constant connection. Because prayer is one of the ways that we express and live out our dependence and reliance upon God. Our default setting is to be dependence and that would be something that drives us to connect with him through prayer. Now, before we go too far here, I had two conversations this morning about my use of the word or the phrase default setting. And so I had to connect with my, with my computer nerds to figure out, like, what does that mean? And because I'm not that well-versed in this kind of stuff. And I was thinking about this whole thing as, as prayer, uh, sorry, dependence being our de- default setting. And um, this morning... I was getting ready, and I was, I was about to come, come over, and, and then I realized, wait, dependence isn't our default setting. Brokenness and sin is our default setting. So how can dependence be our default setting? So here's how I would like to define default setting. In my own mind, and this may or may not uh, pass the test for the apple geniuses in the room, but just roll with me. I would say that sin and brokenness is sort of our factory setting, And then dependence is our default setting because it's user configurable. Like on all my devices, I'm a big fan of like the dark mode thing. You guys like the dark mode? Yeah? I love the dark mode. And every time I turn on my devices, there it is, dark mode, default setting. But I configured it that way. Did it come that way from the factory? No. That's because it was broken and in sin until until I changed it. Anyway, when I talk about default setting, that's what I'm talking about. Because it's not how, it doesn't come naturally to us, right? It takes a volitional act of our will. Volitional act of our will. It doesn't even make any sense. 
It's like saying the same thing. But anyway, <laughs> dependence is something that we have to be intentional about. But is it that? Is it our default setting? Is it, is it, is it something that naturally comes to us? Because it, it's not, right? Do we live, when we think about it, when we consider our own lives, do we actually live dependent on God? Every Christian in the room, if you thought about it for two seconds, you'd say yes. You thought about, if you thought about it for 20 seconds, you might say no. We recognize intellectually that we need God, but practically when we look at our lives, that may or may not line up. And here's my other question, especially as it relates to prayer. I want to stay tethered to that because that's what we're, that's what we're talking about. Does our prayer life provide us any evidence of dependence on God? Can you imagine being able to look yourself, I was going to say in the eye, but you'd need a mirror for that. But to be honest with yourself and to say, yeah, I'm absolutely dependent upon God. I live in dependence. But you, can you imagine making that honest statement while not having a prayer life? That really wouldn't work, would it? It wouldn't compute. I'm totally going with the computer language. It wouldn't compute. And I, but I'm, I'm sure that we can um, recall those times where we just cried out to God and we're like, man, I was so dependent upon God that one time. And it might be a situation where maybe your car breaks down on the four or five or you go through a relational breakup or um, you lose your job or even, even something as horrible as losing a loved one. It's like, man, I was so dependent on God during that time. And that's how it goes, right? We do tend to, to call out to God in those moments, inappropriately so, obviously. It's been said that there are no atheists in foxholes, and whether, I, whether that's actually true or not, it's probably not. We understand the point. But the question I have is, in those moments, does that describe our dependence, or is it, does that describe our desperation I think we need to make an important distinction between dependence and desperation. They're similar, but they're different. Desperation often involves a level of despair and, and has a, there's a sort of a, a, a sense of hopelessness that comes with desperation, while dependence involves reliance and trust. Desperation is easy because it's reactionary, Right? When you go through some of those things I just described, you lose, a loss, or you lose a loved one or you go through a breakup or whatever, right? It's not difficult to be, feel desperate in that moment. To be in that place of dependence, it comes easy to us and it's reactionary. While dependence is an intentional act of the will. Dependence is an intentional act of the will. But there are times when dependence turns into desperation and I think that uh, for some of us, we might be calling out to Jesus in times of desperation because we've not been living in dependence. I know you can relate to that, even though I haven't heard anything. No amens, no nothing, come on. I've totally been that guy where something happens in my life and suddenly my prayer life spikes because I haven't been living in dependence, but it's in that moment where I feel desperate, suddenly my prayer life goes up a whole nother level. 
I don't want to present desperation as a bad thing. Like I said earlier, it's appropriate the way we, we, we react to some things. The point I'm making is this, that I think that we need to make a, a distinction between dependence and desperation because we need to be a dependent people, not just going from desperate moments to desperate moments to desperate moments with nothing in between. And so that's what I want us to consider. What does it look like for me to live in dependence, not momentary desperation? Some of you, some of you will, will know this and will be able to read between the lines, but the last two and a half years have been very, very difficult for me. And, um, and I was probably at my worst and most desperate moment where there was just one day where I just walked into my bedroom and I fell down onto my knees and all I could say was, Jesus, I need you. Over and over and over and over. I couldn't even say anything else. I didn't break into, oh, Lord, we just pray for this situation. We ask for you to work by your Holy Spirit. I didn't get into the whole thing. I was just like, Jesus, I need you. I was absolutely desperate in that moment. And here's what happens. This is what we always discover. Jesus met me, and it was awesome. But while we experience momentary desperation in circumstances, we need to remain perpetually dependent upon Jesus. We may be experiencing momentary desperation, but we need to be perpetually dependent. Dependence is constant, regardless of the circumstances, whether they're good or they're bad. And there are moments we respond in desperation, but our default setting, as I've defined it earlier, is to be dependence, a user-configurable setting. We've decided that I'm going to live my life absolutely dependent upon Jesus because I recognize my need for him. And if this, how, if this is going to be how it plays out in our, real, in, in our lives, then, of course, the same forces and factors are going to determine some sort of implication and application on our prayer lives. It will determine how we pray. Desperate prayers say, God, you got to fix this. Dependent prayers say, God, I know you got this. You see the difference? And I'm not shaming anyone for feeling desperate. I'm just trying to emphasize our need to be dependent. Again, desperate prayers say, God, you got to fix this. Dependent prayers say, God, I know you got this. What is going on in your life right now where you might be feeling, God, you got to fix this? And maybe that's a true, sincere, and honest thought and reaction. But I also want to ask you, what does it look like for you to be dependent in that moment where you're also saying, God, I know you got this? Because if I'm going to be desperate, I'd rather be desperate and dependent than just desperate. If I'm going to be desperate, I'd rather be desperate and dependent rather than just desperate. Desperate prayers are a response to hardship and those prayers tend to fade when our hardship does. Desperate prayers are a response to hardship, and those prayers tend to fade when the hardship does. But dependent prayers flow from the daily recognition that we can't do anything apart from Jesus and the Holy Spirit working in and through us. 
That kicked me in the face this week. Can I read it again? I need to hear it again. Desperate prayers are a response to hardship, and those prayers tend to fade when the hardship does. But dependent prayers flow from the daily recognition that we can't do anything apart from Jesus and the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Dependence. When desperation meets resolution and we don't remain dependent, we have an attitude that is like, thanks God, see you next crisis. See, when the pendulum swings to the point of desperation, we can't allow the pendulum to swing all the way to the other side. Well, we're not desperate anymore. We want to sort of stop at dependence. Because when, there's, when, des- when desperation meets resolution, we're done, we're good. But we need to remain dependent. Because what happens is when we have that thought of like, okay, no, I'm not desperate, I'm not desperate anymore, I'm good, we tend to detach and distance ourselves from our relationship with Jesus because he served his purpose. I'm not in need anymore. I'm not desperate anymore. But it's a total farce. It's a total lie. Of course we need him. We need to be dependent upon him. It's the only way to make it through this life. Not only is it the only way to make it through this life, it's how he designed the life for us to have. And so if we are not living lives of dependence on him, we are totally outside of God's design for us. See, sometimes we think that we can like get with Jesus, go to church, say a prayer, say more than one prayer, sing some songs, whatever, and we're good. Nope. The Christian life is not about just following religious rituals and rhythms and all that kind of stuff. The Christian life is one of total and absolute dependence on Jesus. And as your pastor, my prayer for you, for us, is that we would develop the regular daily practice of recognizing our need for Jesus when it's good and when it's bad. And if if dependence is not our default setting as I've defined it, then we probably won't have much of a prayer life. But if we see even Jesus praying from a place of relationship and dependence, how much more should we? Right? Let's go back to where this all came from, the example of Jesus. If he's praying from a place of relationship and dependence on the Father, how much more should we? We're not Jesus. And what does it say about how arrogant we are? Or I'll soften it and say, what does it say Uh, 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 about at least how mistaken we are if we do not consider prayer a lifeline and a much-needed point of connection with our Creator. So what's up with that? Why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? What are the hang-ups that we have? Well, there's obviously a ton of them, but I want to look at a few. There's tons of reasons why we don't pray. But I want to just give us a few here and and maybe you'll be able to relate to some of them. And probably most of these are autobiographical. Number one, we don't pray when we don't know him. If Jesus prayed because he had a relationship with the Father, it would seem kind of a no-brainer then that uh, a lack of a relationship would in the opposite sense kind of get in the way of us praying. So that's kind of the obvious no-brainer one. We don't pray because we don't know him. 
I will say, though, as a sub-point to that, I think for those that have grown in their relationship with Jesus, I think you would agree that the more you know him, the more you pray and the, and the, and the, the changes that take place in your prayer life because prayer is connected to knowing Jesus. The second reason why we don't pray is when we feel strong or the solution seems to be within reach. We don't typically pray about areas of our life where we feel strong, right? Like I said, when something goes wrong in our life, there's a spike in our prayers. But we don't pray when we feel strong or the solution seems to be within reach because we're confident in our own strength, we're confident in our own abilities, and we see the solution as within reach, as in within grasp for, for us to be the solution and or provide the solution for ourselves. So it's a process whereby which we declare ourselves the solution. So why would I pray? Why would I be dependent? Why would I ask for help? I got this. The third reason why we don't pray is because we don't think it will do any good. And I know wrestling with doubt is a real thing, and we all go through that. But it says in James chapter 4, you, you do not have because you do not ask. Spells it out pretty plainly and clearly there. You do not have because you do not ask. This is a true statement from Scripture. So when you feel like it's not going to do any good, remind yourself what Scripture says. And then also consider the example that Jesus set, how, of course, how we see him praying. And either we embrace that and we embrace him and all of him and we accept all of him or we have to reject it all as well. We embrace it all or we, we reject it all. But we have these promises of God's word that prayer is effective. There's another passage that talks about the prayer of a faithful person avails much is effective. Another reason why we don't pray is when, for us, experientially, prayer becomes something that is just a one-way relationship. And if prayer is to be a communicative connection between us and our hearts and God's hearts, God's heart, then we need to make sure we're not dominating the conversation and that we're not the only ones doing all the talking. We need to take time to make space to hear his voice. It's a dialogue. The most exhausting relationship that you have right now or that you've ever had is with a person who just won't stop talking, who doesn't care what comes out of your mouth or, or what you think or what you care about or what you have to say. Obviously, our relationship with God is different, but I think we understand the point. That time that we spend with God is to be a dialogue. It's a communicative connection between us and him. And if we know that God can speak to our hearts and does speak to our hearts regardless of what we're doing, we can be driving down the road and God can speak. We can be walking our dog and God can speak. So if we can be driving down the road and walking our dog, obviously not at the same time, <laughs> but if we're doing whatever we're doing and God, to speak, God can speak to our hearts, why would we not then think of prayer as like the optimum time where God would be speaking to us? It's not a, it's not a complicated or complex concept. 
Another reason why we don't pray. is when we regard prayer as a religious duty. And when we see prayer as a religious duty, we don't understand the true value of prayer. And we reduce it from what it really is by removing the relationship element from it. And when it becomes disconnected from Jesus, it quickly becomes just empty practice. And if it's just something that is an empty practice, if it's just something that we have to do, we end up missing the who. Right? I know you've experienced that. Well, you've prayed. And then there's times where you pray and you really feel like you've connected to Jesus. You're praying to Jesus. Sometimes we just go through the motions, right? Sometimes we even script our prayers. If not intentionally unintentionally, and we find ourselves sort of like praying the same thing, and we sort of like, we're not aware of, of the who, the fact that we're communing in this moment and connecting to Jesus. At some point after the service, both of my daughters are going to come into this room, they're going to come out of the kids' ministry, they're going to come into this room, and they're going to track me down like the wild animal that I am. And regardless of what I'm doing and who I'm talking to, they're going to run up to me and they're going to give me a hug. And it's going to be the best thing that happens here today, maybe. <laughs> don't want to diminish Jesus or anything. <laughs> but aside from God, it will be the best part of today. And if I happen to be talking to any of you in that moment, I apologize ahead of time for the interruption and, and the distraction. But when that happens, it will not just be, and the reason why I will welcome them and I will hug them back, it's not just because I want to hug. As if I would just interrupt any conversation I'm having just to get a hug from anyone. But it's who I'm hugging that matters. Now, I know you're all very bummed because I'm a very huggable person, you know, and you were hoping that I would interrupt a conversation to hug all of you as well, but, you know, Calm down. <laughs> but do you understand what I'm saying? The significance in the hug is not the hug. The significance in the hug is who it is that I'm hugging. Prayer, we can close our eyes, fold our hands, sit in a circle, say a bunch of religious words, but big deal if we're not connecting to Jesus. And we can say religious words and spiritual words, and we can even use his name and direct our words to him because we're addressing him. But are we addressing him? Are there our words even just like going beyond the ceiling? Are we really seeking to connect with Jesus? Last week, Pastor Ryan, our guest preacher, gave a talk on how uh, he looked at the, the road to Emmaus as we wrapped up our oddity series and about how these followers of Jesus, they're walking down the road with Jesus and they were having a conversation with him, but they didn't even recognize him. They didn't know that it was Jesus. They completely missed Jesus. It happens. And believe it or not, religious practices can get in the way, even prayer. Prayer, this is trippy, prayer and the practice of prayer, if we're not doing it right, if it's not true biblical prayer, can get in the way with us actually connecting with Jesus because it lies to us and tells us that we're jumping through all the right hoops 
But if our hearts are not yearning for Jesus and seeking to connect with Jesus, we might just be talking. But the difference is what really happens at a heart level and at a spiritual level. I don't want you to be like me where you get burned out on the concept of prayer. I want you to be crystal clear about what we're doing. We're connecting with Jesus. And prayer is this incredible gift that we've been given to be able to do that. You know what else we can do that gets in the way with connecting with Jesus? Even worship through music can get in the way of us and Jesus. Now, it should be a tool that we use to connect with Jesus. But we can go through the motions in that too, can't we? How many times have you been in a church gathering and the words are up on the screen and you've sung a song for the hundredth time but it hits you like the first time. Has that ever happened to you guys? It's happened to me before. It's like, whoa, I've sung this song so many. I mean, I remember the one time, to be honest, it was actually when we, it was when I finally acquiesced and I submitted, I said, okay, fine, I'll plant, I'll plant Collective Church. I'm in Salt, this is totally not part of my notes. I'm, I'm in Salt Lake, you, uh, I don't know if anyone even knows the story. I'm in Salt Lake City. I'm in like this old rundown warehouse and um, it was a warehouse that was going to be converted into a church building, and I was going to get a tour of it, and my buddy said, hey, so here's, here's what's going to happen. I'm like, man, this is a dump. He said, yeah, but this is what we're going to do. Anyway, the whole point is this. A bunch of pastors were there. We're just hanging out. This guy grabs a guitar. I'll make it quick. He grabs a guitar. He starts singing the song. And he starts singing the song that I had sung a billion times. There was no, like, smoke and lasers and fancy lights or, you know, cool chandeliers or whatever, funky shelves blue lights none of that just a dude on a guitar singing a song a song we all knew and I'm just kind of like halfway checked out I'm just singing the song and all of a sudden I, just, I got hit with a ton of bricks where I realized wow I cannot sing these songs with a pure heart because the song was a song of, of, of uh, to be honest desperation and dependence taking steps of faith obedience being spirit-led, all those sorts of things. And in that moment, I realized what I had been resisting. That, no, 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 I don't want to plant collective church. And I just realized in that moment that there was a sinful unwillingness for me to submit to God. The point being this, for our religious practices, we can be totally blind in those moments and these things can make us feel like we're connecting to God when we're actually not. It could be where we're like wrapped up in emotion or we can, there could be a lot of things. The point is this, like just don't take any comfort or solace and don't pat yourself on the back for jumping through spiritual hoops. The whole point is with all of these things, all of this stuff is designed to help us connect with Jesus. That is the goal. The goal is not to close our eyes, fold our hands, say words that are spiritual. The goal is not to sing songs, obviously, right? It's to connect with Jesus. We can see that happening in the lives of the religious leaders. And over the summer, we actually touched on that several times, how the religious leaders seem to be some of the farthest people from God and completely oblivious to who Jesus was. And Jesus even said this in Matthew chapter 15. He had this rebuke for the religious leaders quoting the prophet Isaiah. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
Where is your heart? Is it close to Jesus? Does Jesus have your heart? It's easy for us to give him stuff from our lips, say, sing, all that. But it, just because we say and sing doesn't mean that it has anything to do with where our heart is. So we can get into the routine of things and then find ourselves on autopilot. And we can find ourselves on autopilot in prayer. And of course, I've fallen into that trap myself many times throughout my life. And, but I was reminded of it recently um, in noticing something in the way that my oldest daughter was praying. She was, and I'm not ripping on her or anything like that, but I just noticed that she was starting to pray, that, that she would be saying the same prayer. Every time she prayed, it would be the same prayer. And for those of you that have known some of my struggles, it would always involve things like, and we just pray for daddy's back, you know, stuff like that, which I loved. It was so great. But she would pray the same prayer. And now, now I'm not saying that her prayers weren't sincere and that God wouldn't honor those prayers and, or didn't honor those prayers. But it was almost like she had adopted a certain way of praying that had become a rigid way of approaching God. And, and it didn't really allow her to go beyond that. So one day we were talking about prayer and I was explaining to her about how when we pray, we're just talking to God. And, and, and it's an opportunity for us to be able to just share, with, share what's, whatever's on our hearts and how it's an incredible privilege to know that Jesus hears our prayers and cares about what's going on in our lives. And so we get to just share with him about what's on our hearts and what's, what's happening in our lives. And I was just asking Isabel, my wife, yesterday, I'm like, have you noticed a change in Jasmine in the way she's praying? She's like, yeah, I totally have. The results have been absolutely dramatic. And, and, and her prayer life, my, my daughter's prayer life, has been absolutely transformed ever since because now she's just talking to God. She's sort of, as she's been learning how to pray, there's nothing wrong with starting with sort of a pattern and, and Jesus himself gave us the Lord's Prayer and, and taught his followers to pray in a certain way. But that becomes a foundation by which we understand what prayer is all about and what it can look like and the ways that we can approach God. And Jasmine, my seven-year-old, is now at that point where she's sort of learning how to just talk to God about the things that matter to her. And now she's praying about stuff that she never prayed before but it's the things that matter to her and she has this confidence that, that God cares about what's on her heart and what's going on in her life and that he hears her prayers and he desires to answer those prayers and to show himself strong in her life. And it's just been so amazing to be able to see this. And we, we also noticed that not only was there sort of like this rote mechanical approach to prayer in her life, but we noticed a waning interest and desire to prayer, to, to pray. And she had sort of like delegated like the prayer times to her little sister. Amelia's turn to pray. And Jasmine would kind of like, nah, I don't need to do that. But now, now that she understands this new, uh, she has this new understanding of prayer, it's given her this renewed interest in prayer and this new desire to prayer to the point now that they fight over who's, who's, who's going to be able to pray, my two daughters. And she's praying like she's actually talking to Jesus and it's just the most amazing thing. I want my daughter to know that she matters to God and that he cares about the things that are going on in her life. I want you guys to know that you matter to God and that he cares about the things that are going on in your life. I want my daughter and I want you to know about the relationship that we can have with God and how that relationship can be marked by dependence on God.
because we can't do it without him. I mentioned this to the prayer team earlier, but I wonder what would happen if we began to pray like he's actually in the room. I don't want to project this on everybody else, but there's, been a, there's a tangible difference for me when I'm going through the religious motions and sort of just praying, you know, appropriate prayers, things I'm supposed to be praying about. There's a difference between that and when I have more of a sense of like Jesus is like here. It changes the way I pray. It changes my perspective. It, it, uh, and and, and um, the way I'm actually, I guess the other question is, what would it look like and what would it change if we actually believed that he was here? And what, if, what would it look like if we actually believed he had the power to work in our lives in the way that we're praying? What if we believed that he could actually do that? I think it would change our prayer life. We, sometimes we have this, this approach to God that is like this disconnected thing. It's like he's in the heavens and he does what he pleases and he's very far from me and he's disconnected from me. So I'm going to say these special words and I'm kind of sort of, kind of quasi, maybe sort of going to connect to God on, and, and he'll, he'll kind of hear me. But what if we prayed to him like he was actually present in the room? What if we prayed like we actually believed he was prepared to answer and to work in our, in our lives in amazing ways? I think we would notice a huge difference in the way that we pray. And what if we were more mindful of his presence and prioritized his presence? I think one of the things that we'd see is a greater commitment to prayer. And again, not where we just go through the motions and, and call it prayer, but we, where we are actually praying biblically, enjoying Jesus, spending time with him, and redeclaring and living out our dependence on him. As we move into our fifth year as a church, we need to remember that our relationship with him, we need to remember our relationship with him. And we need to recognize our need to be de- totally dependent on him. For those that were around in the early days, the core group days, which was like prior to our, our launch, you know how desperate we were. We were desperate. I'm using that word intentionally. We were desperate. We were dependent too. But from a place of dependence, we were totally desperate. Lord, we want to see you work. We want to see you move. We want to see you do incredible things on the west side of Los Angeles, not so that we could be successful and that we could be the heroes, but the whole point of why Collective Church was ever even planted in the first place was to be able to be a beacon for the gospel on the west side. I said a couple weeks ago, it's not to just give Christians an an alternative place to hang out and show up on Sunday mornings. If that's what it is, we're gonna shut it down and this is it. We wanna be a community of people following Jesus, seeking to reach people and make disciples. That's what it's all about helping people to know, love, and live for Jesus. And we prayed like that. And my fear or my concern is that we would lose that because the human tendency is to drift, right? Not intentionally pursue. If we just kind of go on autopilot, we will drift, But if we need to go, and if we're going to continue in the direction that we need to go, we need to to intentionally pursue. And so as we are at that five-year mark, as we're turning, as we're entering into our, our, our fifth year, I want us to be so dependent. I want us to remain dependent. And if it manifests in desperation, great, so be it. 
There will be moments where we will be desperate. But that's our, my prayer for this church, is that we be a, a church community that is totally dependent upon Jesus. And that's why we wanted to do this series. And we're come, as we're coming up on this milestone, it was like, okay, what, is our, like, what do we need? You can Google sermon series and look for ideas. It's stupid. The church world is like that. You know, and they'll send you graphics and everything. This whole package about, this should be your next sermon series. It's really weird. But our question was like, what does collective church need to hear? What do we need to look at? What do we need to consider? What do we need to be about? How is the Lord wanting to speak to us? And we just felt like as we're coming up on this milestone, that we, we, need, we needed to revisit this whole reality of being a church that is deeply dependent upon Jesus and that that be manifesting in prayer. So we've got the prayer night coming up on Friday. Expect to see you all there. I'm kidding. No guilt, no shame. But you should still totally come out. But, you know, speaking of the prayer nights, I don't go to those prayer nights to pray. I go there to connect with Jesus. And the way that we connect with Jesus is through prayer. And we even start off our prayer nights with a time of quieting ourselves and just listening. And what this does is not only give us a chance to hear from him, but it also underscores the reality that he is there and that we are there to meet with him. And there are also other times where, some, uh, where something happens that some would consider to be awkward silence. But it's only awkward if you're expecting someone to say something. You know, you're, in the, you're maybe in a, a setting where there's people praying, we're praying together, and, and there's just nobody praying, and it's just silent, and it's like, oh man, would someone hurry up and pray? The silence is killing me. And so sometimes we'll just jump in and we'll throw a prayer and just to, just, to, just to solve the silence, to fill the gap there. But it's only awkward if we're expecting somebody to say something and no one is. But here's my suggestion. In those times of silence, it's not so much a time of silence as much as it is us listening and giving God an opportunity to speak. If you're really seeking the Lord, which requires zero emotional energy. You don't have to whip yourself up into a frenzy to get close to Jesus, none of that. But if you're just really seeking the Lord, you're not gonna be intimidated by the silence. Just listen. God wants to speak to us too, and he'll guide our time. He'll guide our prayer time. And we'll find that our hearts are becoming aligned with his, and we're praying prayers that he wants us to pray because they're in accordance with his will. Happens every time, it's crazy. I say that every time we have a prayer night. Where I say, let's take some time to pray, or let's take some time to listen and allow God to guide our time. And I promise people that you may have a thought about something that you want to pray about. And then you'll kind of hit pause and you'll let it marinate a little bit and you'll let it sit. And then somebody else across the room will pray it. it happens every time. Why? God wants to commune with us. And prayer is that communicative connection between our hearts and his. And that sense of dependence, this is why we pray, that sense of dependence is what is to be our default setting. A user configurable setting. We need to make it that. Where we recognize our dependence upon him. And here's the kicker. None of this would even be possible if it weren't for Jesus. None of this would be possible if it weren't for Jesus. We can only come to the Father through and because of Jesus. 
Romans chapter five speaks to this, and there's some real key words here to show how that relationship has become possible. Romans chapter five, uh, verse one and two. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith and have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him we have also attained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope and the glory of God. We've been given this access with God. And Hebrews, I believe it's chapter four, says that we can come boldly before him. We can come boldly before him. And it talks about to find help in our time and need and to find mercy and grace and all those sorts of things. But it's not just for that. We can come boldly before him about what, with whatever is going on. And if, if it's just to worship him, we don't have to beg and, and hope that he gives us access. We can come boldly before him to worship him. We can come boldly before him when, when, we, when we're in deep need, when there's stuff going on in our lives, when we find ourselves in those desperate moments. We can come boldly before him to pray for other people. We can come boldly before him trusting in faith that he actually wants to bring our neighbor to Jesus and our coworker and our friend and our classmate, whatever it is. We can come boldly before him as we pray for the west side. We can come boldly before him when we're praying for one another that we would be a, a church community that is absolutely dependent upon Jesus moving forward in our relationship with Jesus. So for the Christian, for those that are followers of Jesus, we've been given that access. And I wanna tell you that if, you're not, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have the same opportunity to have that access. Jesus is, is inviting you and he's saying, come to me, place your faith in me. And he's revealed himself in scripture as having laid down his life for you so that the holiness, and, so that God's holiness and your sinfulness and your brokenness, that, the, that those two things can actually come together at the, at the cross where Jesus sacrificed his life and laid down his life so that your sins would no longer separate you from God. And Jesus gives us his, his righteousness or the theological term is imputed. There's that imputation. So his righteousness is given to us. Martin Luther called it the great exchange. We are given the righteousness of God and he takes from us our sin. So my invitation to you as followers of Jesus is to be dependent upon Jesus to live a life of dependence upon Jesus. And my encouragement to you in that is that he's already made a way for that. And my encouragement to you is to not lose sight of how desperately we need to be connected to him in that way. And then if you don't know Jesus, today is the day. I encourage you, I implore you, whatever other words I can think of, your life will never be the same. You will be connected to God in a way that you can't, presently imagine and God will work in your life and he will transform your life in ways that are incredible and you will go from darkness to light. He'll make you a new creation. You will recognize the reason why God created you to know him and to be in a relationship with him. Let's pray.